Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the Canteen, one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. Joy is fleeting when truth is floating. That's the phrase that Pastor Blake used to introduce this past Sunday's message on deceit, the latest in our series in 1 John called Thieves of Joy. And we examined this week how when truth is obscured in our life, our joy can suffer as a result. How can that be? Well, let's listen into Pastor Blake as he brings us this week's message. In the ups and downs of life, right? The, the roads that we travel, sometimes we end up smashed without a safety device. <laughs> well, what's that have to do with uh, this series that we've been in, Thieves of Joy, this, this letter that we've been in, 1 John, when John is writing to the church? Well, today we're going to talk about this idea that the joy of being in Christ is fleeting when the truth is floating. The joy of being in Christ is fleeting when, when truth is, is floating. We're going to explore how deceit, which is having the truth misrepresented to us, steals our joy. When truth is floating around in our world and in our lives, uh, it steals our joy. And conversely, how remaining in the truth of who God is protects us from that deceit. Now, before I read our passage today, which is going to be in 1 John chapter 2, uh, let me give some context to our passage. Usually I do this early in the series. We just haven't done it because it's a little more ambiguous in John, uh, in 1 John. So we're not really sure exactly which church John is writing to, uh, but many assume it to be in modern-day Western Turkey uh, because we know that a lot of John's ministry took place uh, in this area. But here's what we can discern from, from kind of reading the letter, from reading the text, the context of John's message. People who had once been a part of this church have left this church. And they're encouraging others to leave with them. And, and these folks who had left were leaving because they had begun to believe and teach some different ideas about who Jesus was. Nobody could uh, argue at this point what Jesus had done. The whole world would have known you know, very clearly what had happened uh, with Jesus. But they were beginning to question and wrestle with who Jesus really was. And so as we read the passage today, um, I, I, my prayer, my hope, is that uh, the Spirit would just teach us, encourage us, and, and change our hearts as we open His Word today. So if you would... Follow along with me on the screen or in your Bible or on your phone from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. John writes to the church, Children, it's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. 
I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. So what you've heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you remain in him. Spirit, we do pray that the word of God, that you would teach us this morning. Teach us truth, affirm truth in us about who you are and about what that means for our lives. Help us, we, we pray, to remain in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Joy is fleeting when truth is floating. This moment that John is describing in his letter to the church, it was relationally really hard. People that they loved, people that they had made the decision to follow Christ with were leaving the church. And theologically, or what they believed about God, right, was beginning to be confusing because these people that they loved were now saying things they didn't agree with. And, and the question becomes, who's right? Who's right? What is the truth? Verses 18 and 19, at the beginning of this passage, they, they make it extremely clear that things are, are divided. And, and John, he, he doesn't pull any punches when he begins to talk about this group that is left and is, is believing something different. He calls this departing group Antichrist. Now, that word is really sensationalized today. But at the end of the day, it means just what it says. Anti-Christ. These people were, were anti or against the Christ that the apostles were proclaiming. They had been teaching that, that Jesus was, was both the promised Messiah and the Son of God. That, that's what the apostles had been teaching. But these folks that left, they, they weren't so sure about that. They began to question, is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he really the Son of God? And then John makes this, this striking statement in verse 19. They went out so that it might be made clear that none of us belong to them. This is kind of hard for us to read in our society, in our culture, because, I mean, don't we want unity? Don't we want peace? We do, but not at the expense of giving up our source of joy, and that's Jesus. You know, every time somebody is baptized at Christ's community, we have them repeat this confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I trust him as my Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are Christians, who are believers, there's a, there's a, there's a joy, uh, uh, maybe even a smile that crosses your face as you hear those words come across the lips of someone who is making that decision for themselves. But here's the reality about that statement. It's incredibly divisive. 
It, it draws a hard line. When Jesus walked the earth, uh, crowds would discover that, that he was the Messiah, the promised one from God to save the nation of Israel. And it would divide them. John 7, 43 says, the crowd was divided because of him. Uh, Jesus himself said in Luke 12, 51, do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? Nope, I tell you, but rather division. Like, Blake, you're messing with me. I thought Jesus loved everybody and peace and unity, world peace. If he was running for Miss America, Mr. America, I guess, like he, his platform would be world peace, right? He says, no, I didn't come to bring peace on earth, but rather division. Jesus knew that what people believed about him would be the very thing that separated the sheep from the goats, that separated the wheat from the chaff, that separated the true believers from the unbelievers. There's no hiding from the truth of who Jesus is. He's either your Lord and Savior, or he's not. And if he is, and he is the way, the truth, the only path to life, the only source of joy, but when he's not, the truth is floating. Your source of truth becomes whatever issue or idea or, or TED Talk or TikTok or booth or book or person or thing that you do. Like it, it could be whatever you choose it to be if it's not in him. You're like Woody in the back of a pizza delivery truck. Joy is fleeting because truth is floating. And the next piece of quote-unquote truth that's flying across the bed of the truck could smash you and disorient you. Now, we're sitting in church Right? That's maybe not even a good phrase. We're sitting in a gathering of people that, that call themselves the church. And in that setting, in this setting, it is really easy to be an undercover Christian. It's easy to be a Judas. But check yourself. Really look deep inside. Because your joy may be gone because your source of truth isn't Christ alone. You may have decided that there's some other things that can be truth. When truth is floating, everyone picks their, their own truth and then divides over it. Insert your political ideas. Sometimes even insert your theological ideas. But once you're divided, you begin to wonder about deceit. Everyone begins to prop up their teaching. This is right. And as you're trying to figure out what you think is right, you, you, you begin to wonder, well, am I being deceived? Is that, is, is that person trying to deceive me just to win me over to their side? Truth is floating. And when this kind of deception is, is running rampant in a culture, it gets us thinking more about consequences than about Christ. Deception gets us thinking more about consequences than about Christ. It gets us asking all of the wrong questions. All of a sudden, there's a fear of, of being on the wrong side of history. We begin to ask ourselves questions like, well, if I take this position, will I regret it 50 years from now? Where's Christ? There's a fear of, of being different. Because if I'm different, I might lose friends or I might lose family. Consequences. There's a fear of, of offending. 
Offending isn't just losing friends or family. It's, it's bearing the brunt of, of suffering and being shamed, sometimes by those so-called friends and family. Will I suffer if I take this position, this stance? Deception gets us thinking more about the consequences than about Christ. And when we get to those questions, if we're asking ourselves those questions about what we believe, many times we've already taken our eyes off of Christ as the lone source of truth. Our truth begins to float based off consequences instead of Christ. There is no joy in that. None. Because joy is, is not complete without Christ fully and wholly at the center of our lives. He wants all of us. And John wants to remind his readers of that. He, he wants to remind them as people that they used to call friends, call, as, as these people they used to call friends are, are calling into question what they believe about Jesus. He wants to remind them that the Jesus, that the truth about who God is, needs to be wholly and fully and centrally the source of their truth. He wants to remind them of that as these former friends start to invite them into something different and, and invite them to this different view of Christ. So verse 20 in John's letter, likely became this repeated line in the church as they encouraged one another to stay committed to Christ. But you, you, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. When somebody's sitting beside you began to waver and to wonder, is, do I believe this is true? Do I really believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do I really believe that he's my Lord, that I, will, that I will do whatever he asks me to do? I will go wherever he asks me to go. I will join him however he wants me to join him, that he is the Lord of my life and my Savior, that he has saved me from my sins. Do I really believe that to be true about Jesus Christ? And when that became to, began to be in question, they might have been affirming each other and reminding each other with verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. What does that phrase mean? What, 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 what is the significance of this phrase? Because this is still true of you today. When you begin to, to be caught up or to question what is truth, and the truth is floating in your life, you need to be reminded that you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. This, this phrase in verse 20, the Holy One, obviously it's describing God, but it's a little bit interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say Christ. He doesn't say God the Father. He doesn't, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy One, the Holy One. He's pointing them back to what they believe about who God is. One God in three persons, what we've often called the Trinity. But more than that, right, it's this, it's this word hagias, which, which means holy. It means to be set apart, to be different. He, is, he has anointed him, anointed us, it says, uh, poured himself out on us as the Holy One, the one God in three persons. There's this uh, historical illustration of the Trinity, that inside of the Trinity, each person, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, are all God and yet are not each other. It's, it's this mind-blowing truth about who God is that, that really sets us apart. And just as each person of the Trinity is, is pouring himself into the other, that one God is pouring himself out over you. That is the picture of being anointed by the Holy One. So that one day, 
you might become holy as he is holy. And when anyone or anything in your heart or your world is anti-Christ, it destroys that truth. It cuts in front of that truth that has been poured into your life by the Holy One. You say, Blake, why is this idea of the Trinity so important? That there are three persons in one God. There's a lot of reasons, and we're going to try to touch on some of those things today. And you may have to put your thinking caps on at times, but who God is is central to finding our joy in Christ. You see, we need every part of the Trinity, every person of God for salvation. God the Father is holy, and he accepts believers in his holy eternity called heaven. Without the Father, there is nothing to be saved to. And yet, how could the Father accept us as sinners into that holy kingdom if not for the sacrifice of Jesus the Son? So Jesus the Son came fully man and fully God. He became the perfect sacrifice. We need him as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And he died this perfect death so that all those who might believe might have their hearts changed from stone into flesh. And we say, well, hold on then. How could the Son change our hearts without the Spirit? So it's the Spirit. You know, the Spirit, we, we need to talk about Him more. He, he's the one that we really need. He changes our hearts. He intercedes for us when we pray to God, asking Him to, to join Him forever in heaven. And that brings us right back to where we begin, right? Because how could the Spirit intercede for us if there were not a Father accepting us into a holy eternity? We need every part of the Trinity functioning in their roles as God to be saved. The Father strengthens us through His Son who anoints us with the Spirit who is just a taste of what's coming when we get to be fully in His presence in heaven. We need every part of the Trinity for salvation. It's the truth of who God is, three in one that saves you. But that truth also sets you apart. It also sets you apart. Look at verses 21 through 23. John says, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. What truth is he talking about? I believe he's talking about the truth of the Trinity. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and he who confesses the Son has the Father as well. The Trinity, you see, is, is more than just this theological reality that our human brains can't fathom. It's a model of how we love God and love people. You see, the very thing that God calls us to is something that he models within his own being, his own essence. Each person of the Trinity is constantly and perfectly loving one another. They always have and they always will. And that's mind-blowing to even think about, that they are in a perfect relationship with each other all the time. If you walked into this room today and you have a relationship with anyone in here or even anyone without here, like you know how hard it is to have a good relationship. Imagine a perfect one for all of eternity. That's what's modeled for us inside of the Trinity. And so this truth about who God is is what sets you apart in your belief. It's what anoints you. John says, you know this truth, this truth of the Trinity, but you need to let the truth of what that means help you recognize the lies and deceit that this world is challenging you with. Throughout history, uh, there have been many ways of distorting the truth about who God is, three persons and one God. 
In this case, here in this letter, they were devaluing Jesus, essentially removing him from the Godhead. Like, he did a lot of really cool things, but I'm not sure he's really the Son of God. And you can begin to see how these misconceptions have led to other false religions because of what the Trinity is not. So over the course of history, some people said, well, it's not really one God. It's just three closely related gods that that choose to work together. Well, this leads to pluralism and and religions that hold up multiple gods. Uh, And Deuteronomy 6 clearly says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Some people have said that. Some people have said, well, okay, it's more like three modes uh, instead of distinct persons, almost like a a shapeshifter, like God is a shape, like for a while he's the father and the creator, and then he's the son, and then he's the spirit, you know, whatever he needs to be. But we've seen already how we need each distinct person of the Trinity in salvation and in setting us apart and making us holy. Like we need those three persons of the Trinity constantly bringing their whole selves to the Godhead and to the world. The most often, I think, we make these persons of the Trinity unequal. We elevate or get them out of balance and we elevate one over the other two. And this is really important because oftentimes this can really mess us up. Uh, Some of us elevate God the creator and, you know, it's like, I'm not sure that Jesus is, you know, we kind of devalue who Jesus was or who the Spirit is, and we end up elevating some kind of weird creationism where we, we begin to see God just in creation. Uh, some of us elevate Christ, which sounds weird, right? Like, yeah, let's elevate Him. We talk about Christ Community Church. But sometimes when we do that, we, we elevate this idea of universalism, where everyone gets in and, and grace abounds you know, to, to all things and there's no such thing as sin because Jesus just, you know, he, he took care of all of that. And, and you can see how quickly we can forget about the holiness of the Father. At other times, we, we elevate the Spirit too much and we lose sight of the truth of, of Christ that helps us to stand firm. And in that, we often end up practicing some kind of humanism where, you know, God is just within you and you decide what's good. It's really easy to get these things out of balance. And so believing that God is one God and three persons, unified and equal in power, is the very thing that sets you apart as a Christian. And so praying that the Spirit would help you to understand the Word of God about Jesus Christ in this moment, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior so that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and live forever in his kingdom? See the significance of that question now? See the significance of that statement? It's a belief that sets us apart and saves us. John reminds his readers that this is the truth that determines all lies. And those lies steal your joy. And then he encourages them, and and as a result, us, to remain committed to that truth. To be different, not deceived. To be different, not deceived. How do we do that? John writes this in verse 24 and following. What you've heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, 
The anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as, this is, just as it has taught you, remain in him. He keeps using this word to remain. To remain in what you believe then flows out into two ideas that I want to invite us to, two applications I want to invite us to today, and then we'll finish up. One is this, to remain in relationships. John writes about them remaining in the relationship with God. God is one, but he's three persons. This is his promise, the promise of three people in one God, eternal life. That's what we get for remaining in that relationship. Eternal life, then, isn't just a gift he gives to you. It's a relationship that goes on forever. And there is joy in that relationship with God that lasts perfectly forever. But I want us to think, uh, put our thinking caps on one more time, about this relationship that God has with himself. Because in our world, there's this huge conversation swirling about a ton of things with power and authority and submission and, and how that works. And let me encourage you, the truth of how that should work is already there in the person of God. See, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they are all God. With total power and authority to be God. They are God over one another. They are in authority of one another. And they are lovingly being in authority and showing power over the other. But because they're God with total power and authority, they're also in total submission to one another. And they are humbly allowing the others to, to be in authority over them. It's not that these relational power dynamics don't exist. It's that the Trinity handles them perfectly and gives us an, a model, an example of how we should. And so the more we reflect on the eternal relationships, relationships within the Trinity, the more we learn how to remain in relationships in this world. Paul uses this uh, to teach us about marriage. He says this in Ephesians 5, 32 and 33. This mystery, right? This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. This dynamic this dynamic of authority and submission that is evidenced in the Trinity is most clearly seen by us in marriage. That's how we apply it most often. But it's also reflected in every relationship where there is an authority. So let me ask this church, what if we begin to steward our roles, all of our roles like this? What if we begin to see every position of authority or influence or power as an opportunity to love so deeply that we would love like Christ and give our lives for those that we're leading? Are you willing to die for the people that you lead? What if we begin to see every position of authority or influence or power as an opportunity to serve and, and, and to die for, the, for those in your sphere of responsibility? What if, what if on the flip side, we saw every position of submission as an opportunity to demonstrate honor and respect, to lay down our preferences and ideas and, and opinions for the sake of keeping Christ first? What if we, we saw every position of submission as an opportunity to, to help those in positions of authority advance God's kingdom? And do you recognize that every time you do this, you're a picture of God himself, who is constantly and eternally living in complete authority and complete submission within himself? So think about your relationships. Husbands, do you love your wives to the point that you would lay down your life for them? Do you serve them as Christ served the church? 
And wives, do you honor and respect your husbands? Parents, in positions of influence and authority in your kids' lives, do you love them like Christ loved the church? Are you laying down your life for them? Children, no matter what your age, are you honoring and respecting your parents? Coaches, whether you're coaching t-ball or college, would you lay down your lives for your players? And players, would you honor and respect your coaches, teachers and students, bosses, employees? Are we living out this idea of authority and submission the way that the God we believe in, three in one, is doing within himself? Remain in relationships through handling that power dynamic the way that God handles it within himself. Because the truth of who God is is going to continue to shape and change the way you love him and love one another. And when you do that, you watch your joy in Christ increase. So remain in relationships as God remains in relationship with himself. But secondly, remain committed to learning the truth. John makes this interesting statement in, in verse 27. He says, you don't need a teacher because he, God, is teaching you. This is not to say that you don't need to be taught. In fact, it's, it's quite the opposite. You see, God in the Trinity is willing to constantly teach the truth to you if you will remain committed to learning it. Now, he often uses humans to do it, but his point, John's point, is, is that it's God himself who ensures that what you're learning is the truth. He affirms what is true by who he is. Bradley Bell is pastor in Louisville. He tweeted this recently, and it was a challenge to me to continue to remain committed to learning the truth. He said, because of Christ in you, your capacity for being a learner is actually far greater than your capacity for being an expert. So in a world that's looking for experts, can we be learners? Can we be learners first? God's truth, and, and there is no other truth, is so deep and so vast that our human brains will never contain it. So it stands to reason, right, that, that my grasp on the truth, your grasp on the truth, is not dictated by what you know but by what you are willing to be taught by the one and only source of truth, the Holy One who has anointed you. The hungrier you are to learn who God is, the more you will feed on Him. The more you feed on Him, the weightier your faith is. And the weightier your faith is, the harder you are to move from the truth. So keep learning from God Himself. Remain committed to learning the truth. And in case you're overanalyzing that illustration without exercising that weighty faith, you'll end up an obese sheep who is an easy target for wolves. So exercise your faith by living out the mission of our church, joining Jesus, going outside, and making disciples. As the band comes back and as we finish this, I want to I finish where the passage begins. John says, Children, it is the last hour. It's the last hour. John wrote this to remind the readers that Jesus was coming back again. And, and this grand meta-narrative story that, that Scripture and God is telling, the next thing to happen is that Jesus is coming back for his bride, for the church. Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He's getting the house ready. And when he's done, he's coming back to get us. We've talked at length today about John's encouragement to believers to remain, to hang in there, to hold on to the truth of who Jesus is, the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Lord and Savior. 
Jesus' love letter to us, reminding us of this truth each week, is communion. It's offered to baptized believers with the simple words, remember me. And so today, as Colin and Katie serve communion to all the baptized believers here, as you take the bread and the juice, remember Jesus. Remember that he loves you. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And that he's coming back. And he's left the spirit in you until he returns. Remain. Hang in there. Because it's the last hour. But for those who have not accepted and believed the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, it is the last hour becomes an urgent invitation. Because the truth is still the same. The next thing to happen in this grand story is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for the church. All those who are not for him You are against him. You are setting yourself up for a a moment in front of a holy God. A holy God who has a zero tolerance policy on sin and who doesn't accept excuses or IOUs. God the Father accepts no sinner, no matter how good of a guy he is, on his own merit. He doesn't do it. John said it this way today in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. No one who denies the Son has the Father. But the next sentence says this. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. So today, it is the last hour. If you don't know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, this is an urgent invitation Would you confess today that Jesus is the Christ? That you believe? Would you trust him? Jesus is coming back, and when he does, it will be too late. So don't wait. It's an urgent invitation to do that. Today, if you need to make that decision, Katie and Kenny will be in the back, and they would love to to pray with you to the God of the universe, three in one, who saves you and sets you apart. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one God, Holy One. I pray that you would pour yourself out on us in this moment. Anoint us. With the truth the truth about who you are. And Lord, as you affirm and teach us the truth about who you are in this moment, I pray that the lies that we are prone to believe will become so evidently clear. The deceit, the misrepresentation of truth that we so often encounter in our daily lives, man, it would just, it would just seem silly and evident that that is not from you. And as we walk more and more in your presence and and who you are and in the truth, we would experience your joy more and more each day. May it be so for this family of believers, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus and going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.